You've probably heard the phrase, perception is reality. In business, nothing is more important than the perception your buyers have of you. It doesn't matter how good you think your sales process, marketing messaging, customer experience, product, or services are, if your buyers perceive your sales process as being confusing, or your marketing messaging as annoying, or your product as inferior to your competition. So, if you're building your strategy around your perception of your business and not your buyer's perception of your business, I guarantee you're leaving valuable revenue on the table. In order to build your strategy around your buyer's perception, you have to be talking to them to better understand how they perceive your strengths and weaknesses and what they think about you in relation to your biggest competitors. That's where a strong win-loss analysis program comes into play. Over the next few weeks of the Win-Loss Show, we're gonna be teaching you how to get your first Win-Loss Analysis project up and running so you can start getting a clear picture of how your buyers perceive you and more importantly, what in your business you need to change in order for your buyers to perceive you as the best choice so you can start closing a higher percentage of the deals that you're involved in. If you want access to the full video recordings of each one of these lessons and bonus materials to help you get your program up and running, just visit winloss101.com and you can access it all for free. Our goal is simply to help you understand your buyers better so you can win more. We hope you enjoy the series. The only thing worse than losing a big deal or missing quota is not knowing why. Here at Closed, we've conducted tens of thousands of buyer interviews for hundreds of B2B companies, and we've uncovered what drives your prospects to buy, not buy, or even churn. In each episode of the Win-Loss Show, we'll show you how you can leverage feedback directly from your buyers to help you increase your win rate, perfect your sales experience, nail your marketing messaging, build the right products, and hit your quota with confidence. My name is Nate Bagley. I'm gonna be your host through this next six weeks of Win-Loss 101. And today, I am happy to be here with Cam and Cam, Cam Turbo and Cam England. They are two of several pieces of what we affectionately call the Council of the Cams here at Closed. We have several employees named Cam, and uh, the two of you have been here almost since the very beginning. So you've spent years um, helping companies discover amazing things, uh, secrets to help them unlock their revenue revenue problems, like uh, win more deals, retain more customers. And so I'm really excited to, to tap into some of your knowledge. Um, Cam England is affectionately known as the win-loss guy. And Cam Turnbow just yesterday performed your 2000th win-loss interview. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. That's huge. Like, uh, so that's it's been like, fun. It's been yeah. a good ride. Yeah, that's so many interviews. <laughs> so we're really excited to be here with these two guys. They have a lot to share with us today. Um, before we start, I just want to give you a couple housekeeping items, then I want to tell you a quick story, and then we're going to tap into these guys' wealth of knowledge. Uh, the first thing I want to tell you is just eliminate distractions. We're going to try and keep this live stream to 30 to 45 minutes. There will be time at the end to submit questions. The best way to do that is just in the chat if you're streaming live on YouTube or LinkedIn. We'll be able to see all of your comments come in, so that's a really great way to interact with us. And the second thing is just make sure you turn off all your alerts and get rid of all your distractions. Uh, these guys are going to be dropping some serious knowledge, and I want to make sure that you don't miss any important. We're, we want to give you everything that you need to set you up for success over the next six weeks to do something really incredible. Uh, and that really incredible thing ties in perfectly to the story I wanted to tell you. So in 1855, it was the beginning of the California gold rush. 
People from all over the country and all over the world were flocking to California with the hopes of striking gold. And it all started because somebody discovered there was gold in the mountain. There's gold in the mountain. Somebody discovered some gold there. And it, like the, the, the word spread and people got really excited. And um, I know for a fact that people didn't just show up in California and start digging, right? If you're going to go on a gold rush, you, there are certain places that you're going to go that are going to increase the likelihood that you're going to discover gold. There were certain riverbeds, certain mines, certain mountains that were known to be have really cool repositories or big repositories of gold. So if you wanted to strike rich in the gold rush, you had to go to some specific places that would increase your likelihood of finding something that would make you rich beyond your wildest dreams. And then once you got to that place, it probably wouldn't benefit you to just like start digging a hole and hoping that you stumble on a gold nugget. There are some specific strategies and so, some specific tools that you would implement, like a pickaxe or like a sieve or a pan if you're panning for gold. So these strategies and these tools would help you find the gold and hopefully strike it rich. And I like to think of win-loss analysis as a modern day gold rush. And the gold that we're looking for, it's like the golden nugget inside your business that will create extra revenue. It's hidden inside a specific place, and that's in your customers, their experiences, their opinions, uh, their preferences. And when you go to that specific place and talk to your customers and use specific tools and specific strategies, you can find hidden opportunities inside your business to help you generate more revenue or retain more customers, which obviously will generate more revenue yeah. too. So for the next six weeks, our hope hope is to give you, like we've told you where to go. You know you need to go talk to your buyers. You need to go talk to the people who are actually um, looking for the solutions that you're providing and currently using your solution. So you go there and then we're going to teach you the tools and the strategies that you need to use in order to dig up those golden nuggets and hopefully transform your business and become the hero that everybody celebrates for finding these new opportunities. So um, that being said, we're going to dive in today. And uh, I want to start, like, let's just start at the very beginning. Um, today's lesson is about picking a specific revenue problem or picking a, a problem to solve. So Cam and Cam, if you were starting a win-loss analysis program today, you showed up to a company, brand new hire, and they're like, we want you to champion win-loss analysis. Where would you start to find, start looking for that golden nugget opportunity? You know, I think even, even going back to your analogy right there, I think that was a, a very applicable analogy to probably how a lot of people feel when they start doing win loss analysis. I imagine those gold rushers came to, um, you know, California and was like, well, maybe, maybe we do just start wherever, right. You probably had a lot of people that, you know, maybe it was like, well, death Valley has something. Right. And like they learned very quickly that death Valley probably didn't have anything. And so, um, I think it's so easy just to, you know, maybe get lost on, on where to, where to start, where to go. Um, something that we found where, you know, there, there's definitely the best practices, right? And so there's a lot of different ways to do win-loss analysis, but there are the best practices and, and hopefully we'll save people a lot of time. The, the place where we would suggest first and foremost um, is, is going to your CRM data. Already at this point, whether it's Salesforce or any other, other CRM that you have, you have this wide, wide, you know, variety of data that is usually just untapped. Right. And, and, and so being able to tap into that, that, that CRM data and say, okay, what specific areas are we seeing? What specific regions are we seeing? You know, where, what, what do we see from this data? Is there something we can start to dive into a little bit deeper? And, and I think that's like one of the big things where, you know, rather than just kind of shooting from the hip, right. Just going to any random river, you start to say, okay, well, we know this, this specific area, there seems to be some questions there. Let's dive in there and maybe start in that specific region first. 
Yeah, I think your CRM serves as a bit of a roadmap where it can start to tell you what's going on, but it's not going to tell you why that's happening. Um, so I think, again, to back to what Cam said, you're going to start to look at some different areas within your CRM as you run different reports and start to see where you're having challenges or where you seem to be succeeding, which can point you in the direction of, of where to start. And you can also, to some degree, like also think about what are some of the internal hypotheses that you have as a business? Are the sales team talking about a certain competitor, bringing up certain functionality, or are there certain you know areas of the business that internally you're hearing conversations about um, that might make sense to kind of layer on top of that CRM data when you're thinking about where do I go and start? Well, and even, I mean, the nice thing about the CRM data too is it, it doesn't require, and we'll talk about this probably later on, is like the, the actual buy-in to maybe launch an entire win-loss program, right? With with the CRM data, it's something you can probably just do with your own role, right? If you have access to your CRM, you can go in and just, you know, make this a little bit side project. So when you do go for more of that buy-in or maybe present win-loss as a bigger idea, you already have some hypotheses. You can go to the, bring, come to the table with some ideas saying, hey, we think in this specific segment, there's a gap, right? We're seeing a big difference between enterprise and SMB, kind of like Cam said, we don't know exactly why, but that's just what the data is telling us. That's awesome. So talk to me a little bit about, I know there are, um, when you go to CRM, you run a couple of reports and you're gonna just start looking for problem areas in the business. What are the specific problems that you think win-loss analysis is best suited to solving? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple main areas. Like when I'm talking with someone that's exploring Hey, we want to build out win loss. Where do we go from here? We're starting at, at at ground zero, at square one. And so the first thing I encourage them to do is look at your CRM data, use that as kind of a roadmap, but focus on maybe some key areas that you're probably already capturing within your CRM. So things that I'll encourage are look at your competitor field. Like are there common competitors that you're facing as part of those deals that you're going to win? Is there a certain geography? that either you're trying to grow market share or for one reason or another, you're seeming to struggle in. Is there a certain product line that's top of mind for you? Is there a certain deal size? You know, are you trying to play better in the mid market space or in the enterprise space or churn is kind of that fifth one where is it, do we have a problem retaining customers and we need to go and figure out why. So again, and, and CRM data, the reason it's such a great place to start just to build off what we already talked about is it's such a low barrier to entry. So what, what Cam was saying, like you don't need an outside vendor, you don't need a third party. Oftentimes you can go do it yourself, but it's such an easy place to start because it can one, point you in the right direction, but two, it's usually an easier place to start. So we're going to our CRM and we're looking for those, those five opportunities. We're looking for geographic areas that you might wanna to compare to each other or see that they maybe aren't performing well, product line, competitor, deal size, and churn. Those are like five really easy problems to start looking at yeah, and, totally. and get, a, get an idea of what, and then use win-loss analysis to go dig in yeah. and figure out the why. Well, I mean, even if you want to narrow it down from even that, it's like, start with your gut feel, right? Like most of the times you probably have a pretty good idea of what's going on in your business. Um, then kind of like Cam mentioned, go to these specific areas and kind of validate and be like, hey, if we, if we think we have an issue in APAC, let's go look at the CRM data in APAC is the CRM data telling us that, right? And if it isn't, or, you know, maybe, maybe we jump to a different one, maybe we jump to a different region or a different, you know, different segment, or maybe we 
still kind of run down that APAC line and we use the win-loss analysis to validate that we actually are doing as well as we think we are in that specific mm. region, right? And I think that's one of the things that, you know, people usually come to the table with win-loss analysis saying, hey, we want to solve problems. And so if they don't come in and like find all these, you know, monumentous findings, they, they don't see it as a success where probably the majority of win-loss analysis is, is validating what you're actually doing right already. Right. And, and if you have that validation, then think how comfortable you would be you know, moving forward with your decisions. Right. Where it's saying, hey, we want to double down on APAC. We want to do continue doing what we're doing. And, and you can have that confidence to keep keep moving forward. So oh, confidence is key. I think in all aspects of life. Right. Yeah. It's like <laughs> I think there is a certain there are probably a lot of businesses out there and a lot of business leaders. And you can drop in the comments if you can relate to this, yeah. who are kind of operating based on intuition, uh, based off of best practices, yeah. a lot of hope, a little bit of guesswork. Totally. You know, they're kind of casting a wide net and hoping, hoping like this marketing strategy or this sales motion yeah. pans out and results in something positive. And there's something really magical about going out and talking to 20 of your buyers totally. and having them all say, oh, yeah, you're hitting the nail on the head. Yep. It's like, oh, OK, we're doing the right thing. Yeah. And, and maybe there are some small things that we can pivot. But generally speaking, we're headed in the right direction. Like that alone can be worth worth conducting 20 interviews for. Oh, totally. totally. And, and your gut feel can only get you so far. Right. And so this is where it's like start with that, move to that CRM data and then eventually you're going to validate that with the actual, you know, speaking to the buyers. Perfect. So talk to me about um, as a first time win loss analysis person, somebody who's implementing for the first time, what are some roadblocks that you or the most common roadblocks that you think people might run into? I think when I'm sharing kind of words of caution or words of advice around how to start out your win loss program, one of the cautions that I'll kind of walk through is the quickest way that we see win-loss programs die. So like something to get ahead of, which is when the findings stay siloed within a single individual or a single team, and they're not shared out broadly across the organization to those different parties, those different teams, those different stakeholders that have a need to have that buyer feedback in order to go and execute on, on their jobs and their roadmaps. Um, so then that begs the question and opens up the discussion of like, how do I effectively get buy-in at the beginning of a program. And so that's probably the other biggest thing that, that we'll dive into or run into when it's, okay, how, how, at the onset of a program, how do we get people involved? Totally. Yeah, and I, I think one of the other big things we see specifically with win-loss, because you're going to the end customers, and you know, we'll highlight my, my friend Cam here, is the sales team, right? Like sometimes sales is just very, very hesitant towards this. I mean, they're the heartbeat of the business, right? They, they have the rela these relationships. They've worked super hard on these relationships. The last thing probably reps want, want happening is some other person at the company coming in and, you know, kind of uncovering or talking about uncovering is probably the bad word, but like screwing up, the relationship. Screwing up that relationship, right? Like, you know, and, and so I think that's one of the things that we do see maybe being a potential roadblock right out of the gates is that the sales team, specifically reps, are a little more hesitant towards this. And, and and they almost see it as like a witch hunt, right? Of just being like, why would I give you guys my opportunities to go talk to if you're just going to go in and tell me what I'm doing wrong and the deals, right? And and we joke around a lot of times, you know, when, when you're looking at, you know, why people are losing deals in the CRM and there's that sales rep filled, probably most of the time it's pricing and product, right? Like it's never the relationship, right? Sales reps are never going to just go in and, and botch a relationship. It's always going to be something else. And so... I think there's a little bit of hesitancy as, as that feedback starts to come in, even, you know, that it, it's, it's not always the most pleasant experience. Right. And, and like, I even think back to my own experience where 
we, we do our own internal win loss analysis and, and we were doing a churn analysis and, and I got an interview back for one of my accounts that had churned. Right. And, and we were certain that it was for budgetary purposes and like, it was strictly for, you know, they, they, they had some re, you know, management um, uh, restructuring. And as we did this interview, you know, I, it wasn't me that did it, but as I consumed this interview, I was like, Oh wow. Like, yeah, some of those budgetary things did consume were there, but then they had feedback specifically for me as their consultant of like, Oh, like we felt that the interviews were starting to get stale because we we'd been working with them for a year and we hadn't necessarily adjust the questioning that we we needed to see. And, and that totally caught me off guard, right? Like I had no idea. I was like, if I would have known this, we could have, we probably could have saved this account. Right. And so, but at the same time, like these notifications went out to the entire company. It's not the most fun to, thing to see. But I think the nice thing we have here at Close where we have a culture that it's it's not seen as that witch hunt, right? I didn't have leadership down my back just being like, you lost this account for us, right? Because they, they did see the bigger picture, right? And and I think we were able to use it as a coaching moment and, you know, take that to, to, to teach it as well. And so that'd probably be the kind of, you know, one of the big things is as we work with sales, you know, kind of portray and, and introduce it to them, it really doesn't come off as, hey, this is, this is a company-wide initiative in order for us to get better and getting them on board and helping them see that is this improvement. It, it definitely um, will make them, I think, a lot more um, receptive to, to this type of um, program. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, when it comes to launching a new program, one of my favorite things to see is initially in a lot of clients that we work with, there's that hesitancy from sales, but sales usually quickly becomes the biggest proponent of a win-loss program totally. once they see the feedback come through and there's actionable steps for them about how they can go and win more deals. And whatever sales rep you're talking to, if you can help them win more deals, like you're speaking their language. Um, but, but I think it does come back to one, that's one piece of the puzzle is getting the sales team involved in and getting them on board but even beyond that getting the product team involved getting the marketing team involved getting executive leadership involved in the program and i think one of the best ways to go and do that is to have a conversation with those leaders and pose some form of the question of hey we're going to go out and talk to our buyers if you were able to be a fly on the wall in that conversation what are some major questions or topics that you would ask them or want to have covered mm -hmm. and use those questions or, or those that conversation with those stakeholders and those leaders to help build out the interview guide or the topics of questions that you want to cover on those interviews. And, and that serves a couple of different purposes. One, it makes sure that you're focused on the right information in the interview, you're covering the right topics with your buyers. But then beyond that, you're going to have those leaders that are hungry for that feedback to come through because they feel like they've helped build that program. They've had an involvement in those questions that are going to be asked. And so I think that's one of, it's often overlooked, but I think it's super powerful is making sure that they have a say in what's going to be covered in those interviews so that they're hungry for the feedback that's going to come through. Yeah, I can see how that would totally get buy-in right out of the gate. Yeah. Like if we can, if you can walk up to these leaders and be like, hey, what's the question that's scratching in the back of your, mm -hmm. the itching the back of your brain? Like what, what is the thing that you really want an answer to? Yeah, that immediately gets them invested. Like, hey, tell me what you found out. Like, yep. when you go do this, come back and let me know if you discover anything that can help me find a solution to this question. I can see how that would flip people from defensive to excited pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. That's a great strategy. Totally. Any other um, general mistakes that you see people make coming out of the gate when they're starting a win-loss analysis program? The, the number one thing I have encountered when working with newer clients um, is they just make it too broad, right? 
they, they have high hopes, high aspirations. They want to go talk to every single customer. And, 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 and there's a lot of resources and time that needs to go into implementing a strong win-loss program. And so that would be, you know, kind of even going back to what we were talking about at the start with those, those specific areas, you know, geographic area, um, you know, segment, you know, deal size. Get specific on where you want to solve that problem, right? You're probably not going to be able to go conduct interviews across the entire company and try to solve, you know, every single segment. And so that's something that I would definitely suggest is, you know, be be specific and then stick to that scope, right? Mm -hmm. If it's if, if your goal is to go do 10 interviews, don't go out and do, you know, maybe three wins, three losses, three churns, right? Or or do, you know, two in Europe, two in APAC, two in North America, if you're trying to understand why on a specific region. It's tempting because you do want to get that coverage, right? It's very tempting. However, but if you if you if you can come back and be like, hey, so we did we did seven losses and three wins, right? And we did them all in North America and they were all enterprise accounts. After those 10 interviews, you're gonna probably be pretty confident saying, here's the things we learned. And we're looking at kind of hitting this point of saturation or like, are we hearing the same things over and over again with these accounts? Um, that gives you, once again, that confidence to say, okay, we, we're confident what we're finding is, is consistent across this entire uh, segment that we talked to. Yeah. You don't want to boil the ocean. And I think that's what the mistake a lot of people make. And then ultimately the feedback, if, if you do take that approach, you have interesting findings you understood or now understand why you won or lost a handful of different deals, but you don't have anything actionable to take back to your VP of sales or your VP of marketing because there's no consistency in kind of your outreach process. So one, one other thing I'll throw in Nate is even, I think we see a lot of times just like this paralysis just by analysis, right? Like they, they overcomplicate this whole process and they just don't get started. Right. And like, even like I mentioned, you know, you got, Focus on maybe doing ten interviews, maybe five interviews, right? Or just one. get something out there. Right? Do 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 one, right? Like, don't try to boil the ocean, like Cam mentioned, where you know we're trying to launch this entire initiative and huge thing. Like, get that little bit of data, and then once you get data, that helps with buy-in because sales can see what you're doing, right? All these other departments can see the type of feedback, then they're all in, on board as well. And so, just get something going, whatever that is. Don't 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 just sit around and be like, well, we got to get this in place, this in place, this in place. Mm. Just start start doing something. Awesome. Well, I think what would be really helpful now is if you guys could give me a few examples of people who have had some win-loss successes, and maybe we can talk about what made those endeavors successful with regards to what we just talked about, um, or even just like uh, examples of things that, more specific examples of problems that people should be looking into. So do either one of you have an example of, you know, one of these five categories that we talked about the geography, product line, competitor, deal size, or churn that you could share with our audience to kind of give them, I think when they see it in practice, it's something might click and they'll totally. be like, oh yeah, I can go do that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I think one example that comes to mind is a new, a new client that we were helping kick off and jumpstart their win-loss program had questions around a specific competitor, which is very, very common. Almost every company has questions about one competitor or another. And so they were wondering, hey, why are we struggling against this competitor? And there were some questions or some hypotheses around, does it have to do with our pricing and the way that we stack up against them? Or is it more of like a product and functionality problem that we're having when, when we face that competitor? And so we had some hypotheses to go and test. So we went out and, and did a handful of interviews for them. And they were in fact losing a lot to that competitor. They were struggling against that competitor, but it wasn't pricing and it wasn't functionality. What, what was happening once we validated that with buyer feedback was it had to do with the lead qualification process. 
So what buyers were telling us was as they submitted kind of a request to talk with different vendors, the client we were representing was super slow to get those calls scheduled and reach out to them. And so by the time our client actually engaged with the prospect, they'd already met with that competitor two, sometimes mm. three times. So they were playing catch up. They were starting from behind. If they already had a relationship with the competitor. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, it wasn't a matter of, Hey, we need to adjust product roadmap or we need to overhaul our pricing. It was, we need to look at our lead qualification strategy so that we can start playing on even ground with this competitor. So once we were able to surface that, there's some internal conversations, they were able to make some adjustments. And fortunately, they, they no surprise, saw win rates improve against that competitor once they were, were playing on even ground. So awesome. That's good. Great example. Yeah. One, one that comes to my mind is uh, the one of my clients, they, they realized they had issues with expansion. They could get people in the door. And, and their new business rates were actually pretty high. And even as we kind of initially did interviews on that new business segment, we realized that it was their product was viewed probably more strongly than I had seen in any other client I had worked with, right? Like it was, the product was selling deals. Like they, they had a pretty high licensing price, but it was like, people like, it's worth it to go out and, and do it. And so they would buy, you know, anywhere from like five to 10 licenses in order because the product was so strong. However, they started to realize that over time, like they weren't expanding past these five to 10 licenses. And so they just were like, we got to figure out what's going on with these expansion deals. And so, so we set aside, you know, two quarters where we just went and looked at, you know, people that were kind of running trial periods and, and people that were, you know, in the door using it. And then why weren't they kind of rolling into these, these bigger programs? And as we did it, it came back. Uh, it was probably one of the more fascinating things where their, their licensing model was viewed extremely negatively, right? It was viewed as being a single tier, right? It was, you have this amount, this amount for one license and doesn't matter how you scale as a business. You could, you know, if you, you're paying the same for five licenses per license as you are for 10,000 per license. Right. And so this feedback came in and, you know, people were like, well, we just, we just can't, we can't afford to scale. Right. And so really what we were able to kind of present to them is saying, Hey, these customers, they want tiered licensing, right? They need to be able to say like, Hey, if we want to hit, if we hit this tier, we need this to, you know, bump down. We need different functionality available in the licensing and packaging model as well. And so that was some feedback we were able to provide to, to, to our client and, and they've been able to go in and make changes to, to that licensing structure and, and, and be able to, you know, grow that business more um, and kind of get out of their own way. Cause that yeah. was the thing that was blowing our minds. We're like, this product is so strong and yet their pricing is viewed so negatively. It's like, figure that out. And then you might have the, the, the holy grail right there. I love that. One of my favorite stories from when last week I got to host our, our annual event of the virtual side. And one of our guests talked about how when he got hired, their um, their sales motion, like they were approaching these really big enterprise clients and trying to close really big deals. And the deals were taking a long time to close. And they started going and interviewing some of these closed lost deals mm -hmm. and um, found out that like maybe if they could get in the door a little bit earlier with like a smaller a smaller purchase with just like one organization, they might be able to expand a little bit. So they started testing out this strategy and their win rate doubled and their sales cycle got cut almost in half. And they found out that they were really good at the land and expand strategy. Totally. And so they completely changed their sales motion and like it, it made all the difference. And all of a sudden they were closing a lot of these deals that they otherwise would have lost. And instead of like trying to capture the whole company all at once, they were just getting in the door with one segment and then growing from there. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, that was nice. Um, and then one, my, one of my other favorite ones was uh, Exactly. Oh, yeah. They were doing churn. We love Exactly, yep. Um, they've talked about, we talked with us publicly about this many times about how they started doing churn analysis 
and um, they were learning all these reasons that they were losing clients, like important clients. And then they were like, these are all fixable things. These are all things that we could have dealt with had we yeah. known earlier. Let's do it. Let's get it earlier. So let's do it earlier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they started doing stay interviews yeah. and they would interview their biggest clients, you know, four to six months before their um, renewal date. Mm -hmm. And they would basically just check up on the health of the company. They'd talk to the executive sponsor. They'd talk to the day-to-day -day, like manager of the program. And they'd figure out, hey, what are we doing well and what do we need to improve on? And they had like several months yeah. to work on the areas of improvement. And they saw their churn almost disappear. Oh, totally. So well, one thing about, I mean, if, if you even just like break that down to like basic math, right? Like one of those accounts for exactly is probably, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, right? right. Like say it's a two hundred two hundred thousand dollar deal. They dedicate a couple win-loss interviews to it, right? Which you know takes time. It does take resources, right? Um, but the return on that is yeah. so much greater, right? Right? It's so much greater, right? Where it's just like you know maybe you spend five thousand dollars trying just to understand what's going on with these customers, and then you hold on to a two hundred thousand dollar customer rather than having them churn, right? Yeah. It's something you can go in and fix, and it, it, it just seems like a no-brainer when you when you break it down to the numbers. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure that'll be part of, of win-loss 101, but oftentimes when companies are asking about like the ROI, it's, hey, if we can help you win one more deal, you've paid for the engagement. Yeah. If we can help you win two, three beyond that, like that's a fantastic ROI. Right. Yeah. So our goal with win-loss 101 is to set you up to succeed. We want to see you win some more deals. We want to see you keep some more customers. And in order to figure out how to do that, you got to start talking to your buyers. You got to start talking to your customers. So I, we don't want to fire hose you with information. We talked about a lot of things today. You know, we talked about getting executive buy-in. We talked about reporting. We talked about a lot of things, but we don't want you to focus too far down the road. All we want you to focus on over the next week is one simple thing. I'm going to pull it up on the screen here. All we want you to do is choose a problem that you want to investigate over the next six weeks and be really specific with that problem. That's it. Pick a problem. Pick a revenue problem. Pick a competitor that you want to learn more about. Um, pick a product that maybe isn't performing very well right now. Pick a, a team or a geography that uh, you think is overperforming and you want to figure out what are they doing that's setting them apart from everybody else or underperforming. You know, you, you can look at some of your churned customers, like just, just go pick one simple problem and we're going to focus our attention on doing win loss analysis on to figure out the answer to that problem over the next six weeks. So don't get ahead of yourself. Don't go, don't go too far down the line. Don't feel overwhelmed. We just want you to pick a problem this week and then next week we're going to dive in and um, tell you what the next step is and we'll have some some new guests but we have a couple of minutes here we're happy to hang around and, and chat with you and answer any questions that you might have um, this looks like uh, Lisa Gonzalez has been tuning in Dan is here on YouTube so glad that you've enjoyed it um, I do have I have a couple of questions to maybe get us started yeah. and I know there's a little bit of a lag between live and in the stream so we might get a couple of questions that trickle in here um, but I, one of the questions that I have is what happens when you're trying to get buy-in from your leaders and you meet some resistance? Like what, what would you recommend people do there? Yeah, I, I think it depends a little bit where the resistance is coming from, but oftentimes, I mean, as part of the sales process, one of the ideas that we'll talk through with a prospect, and this could be done whether you are outsourcing win-loss to a, a third-party vendor or you're handling it in-house, but is to actually, as you're kind of having this internal roadshow, do a little bit of work beforehand and ideally like present a deliverable of what you're hoping to go do at scale. 
And so we kind of term it as like a free interview that, that we offer a lot of uh, uh, prospects as part of the sales process. But even if you were to go do that internally and find one or two or three nuggets from that interview, that's maybe important to the product team or the sales team or whoever, and basically pose the question of, hey, isn't this cool? Do we want more of it? And so I think that can be helpful where it's not just kind of this in the ether, hey, I have this idea, I, I want to go do this project and talk with our buyers, but hey, I've done a little bit, this is what I want to go and do more of, are you on board? So I think that's always a helpful strategy. There's probably a ton of, yeah. of different strategies. I think I'd add to that is just like, kind of like you mentioned, Cam, like go get some type of data point, right? And, and this, you know, a lot of times in win-loss analysis, it's not quantitative data, right? It's qualitative data. And that usually triggers into customer quotes, right? Those are powerful. It's hard to argue with customer quotes, um, you know? And, and so that's one of those things where it's like, get started, do something so that when you do have, try to have these conversations, you can say, hey, here's, here's some things that we've already found, right? Like we, we think we could find more of this or we want to undercover if this is a problem that our, our other customers say in this. And, you know, it's, there's obviously going to be some culture changes that may have to happen. But, but I think that's one of the good ways to start breaking down those barriers is just being like, Hey, we, we need to make sure we're in tune with what customers are actually saying. This isn't me. This isn't my gut feel. This isn't my initiative. This is more of, I want to understand what the customer is actually saying. Love it. What would you say to somebody who, you know, we're recommending people start by looking at their CRM to figure out what might be the problem. Mm -hmm. What would you say to somebody who's like, I don't want to look at my CRM either one, I don't have access or it's I, there's a roadblock there or number two, data's terrible. the data, we, I don't <laughs> trust the data. Yeah, like, totally. It's a mess. I, I'm not a, like, I don't trust it. And so why would I base my entire win loss analysis efforts mm. off of messy data? Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, that, that, I think that's very accurate, right? Like um, my, my thought there would be, you know, investigating even just that the accuracy of the win loss data is, would be helpful as well. Right. And this is kind of going back to the biting off more than you can chew. Um, it might make sense to identify five opportunities that you found in Salesforce that maybe fit this criteria and then do deeper research, reach out to the, the sales rep, right? Reach out to sales leadership and be like, Hey, this is, this is what we're trying to do. We just kind of want to understand this small segment is, you know, our, is the story we're, we're gathering or, or, you know, is this accurate? And you can kind of validate some of that CRM data um, because I think that's, that's a common problem we run into with a lot of people, right? Like CRM data is, usually always going to be messy and not always be the, the, the cleanest thing. But I think what we've even said, if you've seen with the benefit is, you know, as you start to validate the CRM data and, and kind of do it in, in small segments, you, you gain that confidence from the sales reps of being like, hey, they're going to start to help you out more in the future. And then one of the other kind of just benefits of win-loss analysis is you're probably going to start cleaning up your sales data information as well, mm. right? You might be adding fields, getting rid of fields, and, and you kind of can attack these two problems at the same time. Love it. Great answer, Tam. Um, we got a question from Dan here. He says, I feel like I'm stuck in an interview echo chamber. I'm hearing the same trends in interviews preventing me from providing meaningful updates. Is it as simple as asking different key questions? Like, how would you fix that problem? Yeah, this is, this is a good question, Dan. I, um, kind of going back to what I was with my kind of my story about the, the churn account that I have, right? Where um, that was something we, we didn't necessarily recognize that they felt like they were getting the same insights over and over again. And, and uh, one of the things that, you know, the first thing I would definitely recommend going and taking a look at is, you know, looking at that interview guide. We, we call the interview guide kind of that questionnaire. What are the base of questions that you're, you're trying to ask? Which is what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about that next week. And, and the, the thing that I think is interesting about the interview guide um, is 
it's not just a list of kind of questions that you want to ask, but rather they need to be tied to larger objectives, right? And this is kind of going back to like, what's the revenue problem we're trying to solve? And, and so I would ask you that, Dan, you know, like as you are looking at kind of your revenue problem, is that a specific problem? And then do those questions that you're asking align to that? And, and maybe you have the answers, right? And maybe it is time to pivot or to say like, hey, we, you know, we, we want to understand more about our pricing. We keep getting this, you know, these answers about our pricing. Maybe we need to build out more questions about our, our specific pricing. And so don't be afraid to change your questions. I think one of the things people think with, you know, these interviews or win-loss analysis is, we have to hit this idea of like statistical significance. We have to be, you know, totally perfect statistically in how we kind of conduct this, this analysis. And, and we're, we're, that's just not it. We're talking qualitative, right? We're not talking quantitative. And so like our approach is like, we want to get on the call and almost every single one of our interviews is different than the other one that we've previously done for that client, right? Like we're not going through and asking the same questions every single time. Our goal is to get on there and say, tell us, you know, why or why not you chose this company. And then it might, you know, it reminds me of like the goosebump, choose, choose your own adventure <laughs> books, right? Where it's like, you might go down this path, you might go down that path and, and don't be afraid to kind of dig into things on those calls. And, and as you start to dig in, you're going to be like, Oh, we need to bring this up on every interview. Mm. We need to ask this question on every single interview. And, and hopefully that makes a little more, you know, freshens it up a little bit and make sure you continue to get those, those, uh, those insights. Yeah. I, I think the obvious questions or things to look at is, are you talking to people in the same region? Are you talking about the same product line? Are you talking about the same competitor? So going back to kind of those original five or six things that you might look at when you're running that first report in your CRM, that's low hanging fruit. Those are the first things to look at. But the other thing, and this isn't terribly uncommon, is sometimes you you have a win-loss program that reach, reaches more of a point of maintenance where you're using these win-loss interviews to kind of keep a keep your thumb on uh, thumb on the pulse whatever whatever the adage is but to make sure that you are just staying in tune with the market and what's going on so you may not be learning drastically new things that you did especially when you compare that to the onset of your program but that's not necessarily a bad thing because it might just mean you're very in tune like you're much more aligned with your buyers than you have been before and you're hearing the same thing because yeah. you just have this consistent research that's being conducted so yeah. That's not necessarily the case here with Dan, but it's might be a thing to consider is, Hey, have I just been doing, you know, getting good feedback on a consistent basis? Yeah. It's like, don't be afraid to that. I think that's one of the things like, don't be afraid to validate what you think you already know. Yeah. Right. And, and I think, cause a lot of times people come into win loss now saying we, we need to get these monumental changes, you know, find, you know, kind of flip over our entire business. And a lot of it is you probably already have a pretty good pulse on your business. If you don't, that's maybe another issue. Right. But like, you probably have a pretty good pulse. Don't be afraid of just validating things so you have that confidence to keep moving. Yeah, you're, you're probably not flipping a U-turn. You're just a couple degrees reorienting yourself yeah. just a little bit. Yeah. yeah, good point. Another thing that comes to mind for me is um, the power of reporting. And this mm -hmm. is something that we're going to get into far down the road. But it sounds like Dan's already kind of got his win-loss analysis yeah. program going. And I think there is power in, in having a robust reporting solution because you might have conducted, you know, 100 win-loss interviews and you might be like, oh man, we have like a 53% win rate. This is really cool. But then when you start messing with the data a little bit, you, you know, you might see the same general trends in your interviews, but when you start parsing out the data and comparing it and stuff like that, you might seem, you might learn like, oh, wow, our win rate is 53%, but our win rate on deals above $100,000 is 80%. Totally. And the thing that's bringing our win rate down is these small deals. And 
they might be saying the same things about the product and they might be saying similar things about the marketing. But um, when you're able to, to look at the actual data in a dynamic way and compare it, you might find trends that you didn't, you didn't know existed just by talking to your buyers, totally. you know? So there's also power in reporting. So Dan, like another thing you might want to do is go back and look through the interviews you've already done and, and try segmenting them in different ways by geography or by, you know, which team was managing those, those accounts or, you know, what was the, what was the deal size on each one of those accounts? And you might find trends that you didn't know were there before. One thing on that, sorry. I, I apologize. I, I just, no, yeah, no, I just, well, Bill, it, it was cool. Cause we, yeah, just yesterday we had a, a an interesting call with a client who um, was able to segment it all the way down to sales rep. And they, and they saw that certain sales reps were better in segments than other, than other reps, right? They realized like, Hey, this sales rep is, he, he's struggling in enterprise rock star in kind of the mid market, more transactional deals. But like when it comes to the big, like longer term deals, like he's really struggling. And so the, what their key takeaway for this was, Hey, we need to actually probably just not assign these reps, like, cause they were doing automatically assigning accounts to different reps. So like we need to manually choose who's getting which accounts. Right. And, and I, and so anyway, I, I kind of go back to, I, I applaud Dan. Cause I think this is like, we worry when our customers kind of tune out and just go into this autopilot mode. And, you know, that's something we try to like alert them to is just be like, Hey, we are hearing the same things over and over again. Like we, I'm guessing in, in future podcasts, we'll talk more about the idea of saturation, right. Mm -hmm. Of like hearing the same thing over and over again, which is kind of the same idea of in qualitative that you hear in the quantitative world with statistical significance, right? And and once you hit that point, like, yeah, we need to pivot. We need to make some changes, whether it's who we're talking to, interview guide, you know, kind of findings as yeah. well. And I think kind of a thought that, that that just sparked is it depends the context of, of what you're continually hearing. Is it a positive or is it a negative? If, if it's a positive, that's great because that means you've kind of figured out your winning recipe and you're continuing to execute on that. But kind of a red flag is if this is a negative that you're continuing to hear, you're not doing anything about it as a business. You heard about this three quarters ago. You're still hearing about it today. Why haven't you done anything about it? You might be dealing with that problem you mentioned earlier where like the data is just staying with one person and yeah. not making it out. Yeah. There's yeah, some totally. sort of change that's not happening. Yeah. And I mean, when it comes to a win-loss program, the first half is let's get the information, let's get the data. But then the second half, which is equally, if not more important, is what are we going to go and do about it? So maybe, again, this is very surface level understanding of kind of what Dan's going through, but maybe we're missing that second part where it's, hey, we've got the data. We know what we need to go and do. Are we doing it? Yep. So yep. great. Well, that's all the questions we have for today. We really appreciate you. And we'll see you next week, next Friday, exact same place, exact same time. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us today. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Win-Loss Show. If you want instant access to the full Win-Loss 101 course where you can get access to all six lessons right now, a bunch of bonus materials, and you can find out how to get closed to conduct three free Win-Loss interviews on your behalf so you can get a better understanding of why you might have lost some of your more recent deals, just head over to winloss101.com and sign up for free. We'll see you next week.